0: We each construct the world that we live in. We don't live in the real world. We live in a real world.
1: Hi, I'm Vision Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Mind Valley just evolved from just having a quest, these amazing transformative programs. We evolved from just doing that to also going deep into live calls where we bring on some of the world's most incredible minds and they share their wisdom with a live audience. Now, what you guys may not know is that the first live call we did that was mega successful was with this amazing man here, Sri Kumar Rao. We spoke about philosophical concepts and some of you who were there will remember. You remember the story of how to view life as an engineer? That shifted me. There were like five powerful ideas that Rao laid out, boom, 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 in a span of six minutes. 1,500 people showed up and it was such a success, we decided to replicate that model with teachers all around the world. Next thing you know, we have Matthew McConaughey on, we have Priyanka Chopra on, we have Elon Musk's mother, and the Mind Valley live call ecosystem takes off. So, if you're a Mind Valley member today, and again, to become a member, just go to mindvalley.com and you can become a member there. If you're a Mind Valley member today, you have access to not just recorded personal growth programs, and we do, and they are the best in the world, but you get invited to these calls where you can participate live. So, in this live call, We're going to be chatting with Sri Kumar Rao and I've asked Sri to share with you some profound ideas. Now, what's wonderful about this man is that he can shift your life because he's done it with me multiple times in around four or five minutes by giving you what he calls a new mental model for viewing the world. Our world is based on our models and when our models are upgraded, our experience of the world upgrades. Now, we're doing a big seminar with Sri Kumar Rao called Dent the Universe. It was a favorite quote by Steve Jobs. Some of you might be interested in that seminar. You can learn more on mindvalley.com forward slash seminars. Okay, mindvalley.com forward slash seminars. And you can open up that page right now as we are talking. Rao, welcome. My pleasure, Vision. I must tell you, I always have a blast when I'm
0: doing a call for the Mindvalley audience. Uh, why is that? I don't know. There's something in the chemistry. I don't know what you put in the water or uh, what you set as a gas through uh, pipes. It's just, they're very
1: receptive and the chemistry is excellent. And I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. Well, I'd like to ask those of you who are here, who are Mind Valley members, what do you think Rao is talking about? What is it about you guys that makes these calls so much fun? Try to list it. Try to list it in that list. And by the way, these calls are also going to be interactive. So you'll get to ask questions to Sri Kumar Rao. Now, here's how the Q&A works. Open up the Q&A box, ask a question or vote up a question. Top questions. I'm going to bring you live to interface with Rao. So people are saying, we are thirsty. We are switched on. It's the excitement. We are all good looking. We have common connections. It's the energetic vibe. It's the high frequency ground. It's great moderation. Why? Thank you. It's invincible positivity. Yeah, there's definitely a really beautiful spark here among our members. We have 55,000 members. They're like unicorns. They're like the most amazing people on the planet. And so they are so into every aspect of personal growth. They are so smart. They can connect the dots. And that's what I believe makes these calls fun. Now, Srikumar, let's get started with the first idea, because we have so many things to cover. You say we don't live in the real world. What do you mean? (laughs) Okay. Let me illustrate with a
0: story. Do you know what ragging is? In India, we call it ragging. Out here, we call it hazing. In fraternities, you call it pledging. But basically what happens is you have someone who wants to join a group and the members of that group give him a really hard time before finally admitting him to the group. So ragging was big in India and I got ragged as a fresher. I figured it wasn't a bad deal. I get ragged one year, and then I get to rag two years when I become a senior. So it was all good fun and games. Now, when I became a senior, there was someone who joined the college, and he was a science honor student, and there was something a little bit off with him. I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm not going to make a medical comment, but there was something a little bit off. He was very bright, but he was socially very inadroit, too eager to please, and you know, just not there altogether. And one day I was coming back from my class and I saw a group of seniors had grabbed him and they were making fun of him and they were making fun of his condition. And I got really angry, I mean, furious. So I waited right in, grabbed the fresher, took him to my room. As far as I was concerned, I saved him from this horrible thing because here were these inconsiderate seniors who were making fun of his condition. And I remember that as one of the good deeds in my life. You know, I die someday and my children would say, oh, you know, our old man, he was a good guy. But there was one time in his life he really did something to help someone and this came up. So fast forward 20 years and I hadn't been back to my college in that time. And one day I did go there simply to... You know, see how things were. And by one of those freakish universal coincidences, this person happened to be there at the same time. We met completely by accident in the great lawn. And we say, oh, let's have lunch. And we had lunch. And there was all this, oh, do you remember? And all that kind of catching up. And then there was a pause. And then he said, Sri Kumar, do you remember? And he mentioned that incident. And I said, of course I remember. And I sat back waiting for him to thank me. And he said, Srikumar, I was having such a good time with the seniors. Why did you come and break it up so rudely? And that completely threw me for a loop. For 20 years, I'd been living in an area where this person was being unmercifully ragged about his condition by a group of real sad seniors. And I did my good deed in rescuing him. And for the same amount of time, he was living in a reality where he was having a good time with the seniors and I came and rudely broke it up. We each construct the world that we live in. We don't live in the real world. We live in a real world. And this is actually hugely liberating because if you live in the real world and you don't like it, you're screwed. Grin and bear it. But if you live in a real world, and you don't like it, you can deconstruct the parts of it that don't work for you and build it up again. And you do it over and over and over again. And that's what a big chunk of my program is about. And in fact, that is one of the things that I will be discussing at great length, along with examples and exercises in the seminar that's coming up. We don't live in the real world. We live in a real world.
1: Okay, so could you elaborate? In this seminar, or at least when I spoke about the seminar, what excited me is learning to understand the mental models of great men like Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs was deep into spirituality. He traveled to India. He meditated. He tried all of these funky diets. He would pray at a particular ashram in India. And I know that in Steve Jobs' biography, Walter Isaacson wrote that Jobs believed in prana or an intuitive understanding of the world. And I found that phrase really interesting, P-R-A-J-N-A, the Indian word for like intuitively sensing. And also in the biography, Walter Isaacson wrote that Jobs believed in his ability to bend reality. Walter Isaacson mentions the word bend reality three times in that biography. In relation to a great entrepreneur, because the seminar you're doing is on entrepreneurs and you teach MBAs, what is going on there?
0: What happens is entrepreneurs don't confront the world. They create the world. They change the world. So when you have tremendous conviction and you go forward on whatever task you're undertaking, you have this power to quite literally change the universe. Now, I want to stress something else. When you do that, you are not really acting as an independent entity that is the mistake most of us make we think that we are a particular body mind intellect complex like you think your visioned. you know i created mind valley this is my mission for mind valley and so on that's fiction that's a role you're playing who you are actually goes way 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 beyond that And when you recognize that who you are goes way, way beyond and this is a role that you're playing and you don't get wrapped up in a role, but this is the important thing. What you are is you are a channel for the universe to express itself and your job is to be as good a channel as you can. And when you do that, you can create stuff that you could not even have dreamed of because you're not doing it. The universe is working through you and the universe can do anything your job is to be the instrument. And when you do that,
1: that's when you find that you become super achiever on a scale you can't even conceive of. Your job is to be the instrument. People are saying, this is awesome. Love that. Goosebumps. So you say that the key to rapid growth is thinking differently. Okay. And there again, is that Apple analogy, think differently. Give us an example.
0: I must tell you here, by the way, that there is a slight gap. Thinking differently is not a new concept, by the way, okay? All of you not only have heard of it, but you embrace it. How many of you have been told, don't see the glass half empty, right. it's half full, or every problem is an opportunity in disguise? But despite that, the vast majority of persons have grave difficulty in thinking differently, because we try to think differently by thinking differently.
1: One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous. And there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are, life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You would just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mindvalley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way. Because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness.
0: It doesn't work. What I share is a method by which you examine the mental models you hold, which cause you to view the world in a particular manner. And as you make changes in those models, you literally become a different person. And when you become a different person, you don't have to think about thinking differently. You think and behave differently as an organic progression. Let me give you an idea. So we are all a bundle of wants. We want stuff. We want more money, better house. We want to have better relationships with our spouse. We want our children to study hard and get into Harvard. We're always a bundle of wants. And many of these wants create tremendous turbulence in our life. And the way we try to deal with it is by saying, you know, what I've got to do is I've got all these, and these are the important wants, and I've got to go out and satisfy these wants. I've got to get what it is I want. Well, there is an alternative. And how about not trying to get what you want, but seeing whether you really do have those wants, are they serving your need or not? Can you remember stuff that you desperately wanted at some point in your life, go back 10 years at least, and you may have gotten it or you may not have gotten it, but it's now irrelevant to your life, you've outgrown your need for it? Would you rather get it or would you rather outgrow your need for it? That's oh, an yes. of what I mean by changing your thinking. You think about things differently, everything differently. You think about your life differently. You think about your profession differently. And as you do that, changes happen.
1: So, Rao, I want to repeat what you just said, because there was a profound idea there, and I remember you sharing this with me, but I want to make sure the audience really get it. The thing versus outgrowing your wants. Okay. So, look,
0: all the turmoil in your life right now, and this is really important vision, is caused by, I want something to happen, and it isn't happening, or I want something, and I don't have it. That's... Always responsible for all the turmoil in your life. So if you want something and you don't have it, would you rather get what you want or would you rather outgrow your need for it so it genuinely doesn't trouble you
1: anymore? I would rather outgrow that want. Yes. But you just said that the universe uses us as a conduit. What if what we want is this great product or this great company? Should we be outgrowing that one? Yes,
0: but you don't outgrow it by wanting to outgrow it. You outgrow it by letting it happen. Because what happens is when you have this very strong one, it's given to you for a reason. You know, that's your path, your purpose in life to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. So you, quote unquote, which is this body, mind, intellect complex, don't identify with that. That is an instrument. So feel yourself what you really are is you're playing a role all the time. So play the role with as much gusto as you can, let it happen, and the universe will work through you to make it happen. It may or may not happen in the exact manner in which you want it to happen, Mm
1: -hmm. but you will be there and you will be along for the ride, and your job is to enjoy the ride. I love that. So what you're essentially talking about is the art of surrender completely. And what you're saying is not don't have goals. You're saying, by the way, your entrepreneurial vision is not yours. You're a conduit. The universe has chosen you to deliver this, but you cannot be attached to that as a one. You must have fun as you move towards it. And that is the surrender. You hit it.
0: And we should say, I have this entrepreneurial urge. That urge itself is a gift to you from the universe. You didn't get the thought from nowhere. It came to you because you were the selected channel. So be extremely grateful that you are that selected channel and then don't throw the gift away.
1: Wow. Make it happen. Shree you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of this poem. So I want you guys to listen to me recite this poem. It was written by an 83-year-old man 100 years ago. And the poem goes like this. I was taught early in life, to work as well as play. My life has been one long happy holiday, full of work, full of play. And God was good to me every day. Now, can anybody guess who wrote that poem? Think about the nature of the poem, work, play. My life was one long happy holiday. God was good to me every day, written 100 years ago. It was written by John D. Rockefeller, the richest man who ever lived, the founder of Standard Oil. John D. Rockefeller was the richest American ever in history. Andrew Carnegie was second. He was richer than Elon Musk yesterday, richer than Jeff Bezos yesterday. But notice what he said in that poem. It sure sounds like he was operating based on this mm-hmm. vibration that you speak about.
0: When you are no longer the person who's doing it, when things are happening through you, not from you or by you, you find not only things on an unimaginable scale come true, but at the same time, you're enjoying the process. Mm. That's what I wish for everyone on this call, that you get up in the morning and you do what you're doing
1: and you honestly don't know if you're working, or playing. You're bringing in wisdom from Stoicism, Marcus Aurelius Seneca, from Gautama Buddha, from Adi Shankara, who's a Vedanta, the Advaita Vedanta doctrine from Lao Tzu, the creator of Taoism, from Ramana Maharshi, whom you quote a lot, the Hindu sage, as well yes. as Catholic mystics like Saint Francis of Assisi and Father Anthony de Melo. Out of curiosity, what do all of these mystical teachings have to do with building a massive business? What they have
0: to do is with giving you a viewpoint on life. Once you become anchored in what they share with you you become wonderful at what your role remember we're all playing a role what your role is and if your role is to be an entrepreneur then you build a great business
1: but what if we go for the seminar hoping to help it become successful? and by the way this is not just for entrepreneurs if you're anyone working like today everyone has the entrepreneurial mindset even if you're working for a company you're building something you're creating something the seminar covers all of that, right? But Rao, that puzzles many people, I guess, because what if through these philosophies, we discover that we're not meant to be the entrepreneur? Isn't that then causing us to give up on our potential?
0: Well, if it turns out that your role is not to be an entrepreneur, that's perfectly fine. But in most cases, when you have a deep-seated feeling, yes, I want to go out and build a great business. That is your path in life. But here is the thing, vision that leads me on to something else that I want to share with everybody. There is only one thing we ever do in life. And the only thing we ever do in life is we work on ourselves. We think that you know i have to go off and i have to build this great business but in the process of building this great business what you're really doing is you're working on yourself you're a husband a wife a father a daughter in each of these roles what you're doing is you're using the tools given to you by the universe and you're using those tools to work on yourself And by working on yourself, what I mean is you realize that you are playing a role and who you really are is not this particular body, mind, intellect complex that you say is you. That's a misidentification. You are pure awareness that is beyond name, beyond form, beyond time. So you're playing this role and the teachings of these great masters will get you closer to understanding your real nature and your entire life is nothing but a quest to recognize your real nature. And it so happens that this entrepreneurial urge you have is a tool that you use and a business is like the Swiss Army knife of tools. It's so versatile and you use that. And as you're doing it, just working on yourself, where you find great things are happening because the universe is working through you when you don't have the identification of, I am making my business grow, but my business is growing, it's growing through me. I'm very grateful to be the instrument through which my business is growing. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have fun. And all kinds of crap are going to happen. You know, Key employees are going to lose, customers are going to be dissatisfied. This is all fun and games. I have to solve the problems, but in the business of
1: solving the problems, I'm really working on myself. And that's the only thing I ever do. This reminds me of a very common story I tell about you. One of those Sri Kumar Rao wisdom bombs. We were doing a big seminar in San Diego and you got off stage and I was at the back kind of like making sure that the things were going okay. And you came up to me and you said, you know, Vishen, we got to talk. We have to collaborate. We got to change business school education. And I said, what's the problem with business schools? And you said, they don't teach consciousness. And I said, Well, they do. They teach consciousness. And you go, no, you're confusing consciousness and ethics. Ethics is like, don't be like Enron. Consciousness is different. So I asked you, well, how would you teach consciousness? And you said, well, the most important thing business schools have to teach us is that your business is not about what you think it is. If your business fails, it doesn't matter. The real question is, did you grow? If your business hits a billion dollars, it doesn't matter. The real question is, did you grow? Your business, you see, is nothing more than the ultimate vehicle for your personal growth. And if you make your growth, number one, you will never feel overwhelmed or stressed again. And that, that simple conversation with you shifted the way I ran my business. I stopped getting attached to the outcome and it helped me move towards a phase of surrender, If that resonated with you guys, type in yes. This is where Rao's wisdom bombs can so all of a sudden shift your mind and get you to view things in a new way. Rao, I'd love to ask the next question. So, this question is actually from Kristen, Juan Tilburg. Kristen is here in the audience. Kristen, thank you for your wonderful question. And Kristen asks, what tool do you think is the most useful to build an unstoppable entrepreneurial mindset? The tool that whatever
0: I am doing is in some way going to bring a greater good to a greater community. You have tremendous flexibility in defining both the greater good and the greater community, but have your vision on this venture that I'm on, how is it going to make life better for a vast, vast number of people? And it helps when you're thinking along those lines, not only will it make life physically better, but it will also contribute to the growth of the persons whom I am serving. The more embedded
1: are in that, the more it will reflect itself in what you're doing. Beautiful. By the way, Shri Kumar, do you know, and guys, if you agree with that or if that resonated with you, go ahead and share it in the chat. Srikumar, I just want to point out, we just hit a new record. 2,700 people are live with us. Oh, wow. Uh, when I had Priyanka Chopra, who's probably one of the most famous Indian women in the world, I think we were at 2,500. So you just beat freaking Priyanka Chopra. As you were a young boy growing up, did you say someday, I will have more people viewing me speak to Vision than Priyanka Chopra? <laughs> Congratulations, you just beat the world's biggest Bollywood star. <laughs> At least this conversation is getting bizarre. Never mind, forget everything I just said. Let's quickly change the topic. The next question is by Alice Laribi. So, Alice, I'm going to bring you up to ask a question. Alice, your question is number one right now on the list. Hi, nice to meet you. Alice, go ahead and ask us your question exactly as you wrote it because it got the most votes of any other question out there. How
0: to actually stop fearing the judgment of others and living for others? This is something that gets into us all the time. And I want to turn your question around. When you say stop fearing the judgment of others, what you're really doing is you're being very me-centered. I'm the center of the universe. And what do they think about me? And they're going to pass judgment. So The only way out of that is stop being me-centered and think about what do I have to do that will be a benefit for others. And you put your emotional energy there. And when you put your emotional energy there, then you stop being self-conscious. I'll give you an example. I'm a public speaker, and sometimes I have very large audiences. Sometimes I've had live audiences in the thousands. And I'm Indian, and I grew up learning English by reading rather than by speaking. So, you know, English is a peculiar language, and words are not always pronounced the way they're spelled. So I mispronounce words, and I put the accent on the wrong term. And I used to be very self-conscious about that. What will they think about it? Until I realize that people come to my talks because they think I have something of value to contribute to them. And if I focus on what am I saying and will this be of use to them? Will it help them? And that's what I focus on. Then my fear of what they think of me goes away. And if I mispronounce a word so egregiously that everybody bursts out laughing, then I've brought some laughter into their life and that's fantastic. And the moment I started thinking of that, all fear left me. So whenever you're fearing the judgment of others, you're being knee-centered. Don't think about what will they think of me. Think about, do I have something to do which will make their lives better in some small fashion and pour your emotional energy into that? And then you'll stop thinking about, you know, what do they think of you? And I want to share something else with you. We spend way too much time worrying about what others will think of us. And I can tell you what they will think of you. They won't think of you. We go through life watching the movie of our life, and we think everybody is watching the movie of our life. They're not. They're watching the movie of their life. And in the movie of their life, you're a bit player if you figure at all. So don't worry about what are they thinking of me or what will they think of me. They are not thinking of you, and they won't think of you. So relax into that okay thank you
1: you're very welcome (laughs) thank you for asking a great question yeah thank you so much alice thank you from cassidy cassidy i'd like to bring you up and you can go ahead and ask your question with again tons of votes to sri kumar rao hello
0: hi cassidy where are you
1: i am in a rocking chair So I just wanted to ask, what are ways to immerse yourself in the journey instead of the destination when you have big goals?
0: When you have big goals, don't think about the goals. Because one of the things that we have a predicament is we always want to know how is it going to happen. You know, I've got this big business idea and I'm going to need financing and I'm going to need all of these people and they have to come together. How is it all going to happen? And we're all hung up in how is it all going to happen and we want to know. The reality is you never really know. When Jeff Bezos started Amazon, he had no idea where it would grow and how it would grow and what it would mean to that. You know, at that time, he was just selling books. So your job is to take the first step. You know, the journey of a thousand miles always begins with a single step. Mm -hmm. You have to take the single step from where you are. You can't say the journey of a mile begins with a single step and I'm going to take that step from over there you always take the step from where you are. So recognize and make peace with the fact that all you need to know is what the next step is going to be. You do not necessarily need to know, nor will you know all of the things that have to happen or will happen as you grow. So take that first step with confidence. And as we talked about earlier with vision, the real objective here The real thing that's happening is your personal growth. And maybe your personal growth will come about by starting a venture which never gets anywhere and fails disastrously. That's fine. Or maybe you'll build another Amazon or equivalent. That's fine too. More likely, it'll be somewhere in between and that's okay. Your job is to grow, to enjoy the growth and live each day
1: radiantly alive. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for your question, Cassidy. That was a beautiful question. Sri that reminded me of a really powerful line I read in the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. He talks about baby steps. He says, you don't have to know the entire path forward. Just take a baby step. The baby step shows the universe intent and the universe rewards intent.
0: You take one step in the direction of your dream, and the universe will take 10. I love that. It says in Matthew someplace, to him that hath shall more be given. For a long time, that bothered me. You know, to him that hath will more be given. Why does the Bible say that? You know, isn't it unfair? Shouldn't you give to the people who don't have as opposed to the people who have? But what it really was referring to is their grounding in a spiritual principle. When you're grounded in it, you have everything that you really need. And when you have everything you really need, more will be given because you are now a vehicle for the distribution of that
1: more. I love that. Rao, when I asked you for interesting topics to discuss today, one of the topics you gave me was this, and I bet this is gonna resonate with a lot of people because I'm seeing questions like this. So Sneha asks, how do I create a successful business, say teaching meditation, without having a large network of contacts, friends and acquaintances? And one of the questions you said you'd love to answer today, so I'd like you to answer this so that people like Sneha or anyone else can relate, is how can entrepreneurs increase revenue by not selling? This
0: is one of the things that I really want to get across. Most of us think building a business is, oh, you know, I've got to go out and I have this product and I have to sell this product. It's a transaction. I give you this product, you give me money. Of course, many successful businesses have been built that way and I'm not knocking it, but I'm saying that there is a better way. And the better way is you do not try to sell anything to anyone, you educate them. Ideally, you should be in a process where you're serving someone. And the idea is not to make a sale, but the idea is to educate someone in a process by which he or she recognizes, you know, what I really need in my life is to acquire this product. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Take a mundane example. Take a car dealership. So somebody comes into your car dealership and you're looking around, and the person typically says, can I help you? And what's your instinctive reaction? Oh, I'm just looking around. You put your hands up. You don't want to be bothered by pesky salespeople. So recognize that this is going on. You have a customer who's coming in. He may or may not have needs. He certainly doesn't want to be sold a car. So what if you make it open? You know may I help you with something, sir? Or would you rather just look around? By explicitly giving him the offer, would you rather just look around? You're making it easier for him. You know, he doesn't have to get defensive and say, I'm just looking around. You're giving that as an explicit offer. And then you ask him, are you ready to buy a car today? Or just looking for information? And if he engages with you, say, okay. If you're looking for a car, here are the three models that you should consider and be sure that at least a couple of those models are not models that you sell. The idea is what you're doing is here is a human being who has a problem and I have a great deal of knowledge about his problem and I'm going to help him. And it's possible that what I have to offer is what he needs. And it's also possible that he'll really be better served by some other product but I do not offer. And you let him have that. And when you convey that, it's amazing the success you have. Now, you have a perfect example of this. And did you ever meet Tony Shale?
1: I did. Yeah, the founder of yeah, Zappos.
0: Zappos guy. Yeah. Tony was a frequent guest lecturer in my course. And one time I did a huge workshop for a client who, this is a Hong Kong client who brought 60 of his key executives over to America. And the only business thing they did was a workshop with me. And I had Tony, it was at last week, so it was easy for me to have Tony speak. But the important thing is the following. Tony encouraged all Zappos employees to say, if a customer calls and he needs something that you don't have, make sure that your customer gets it. If you can help him and the way involves a product that you supply, wonderful. But if it's a competitor's product, do it anyway. And the idea is very simple. You're helping the customer. You're creating a wow experience. You're not trying to sell him something. When you have that kind of an attitude, you'll be surprised how the universe opens up in all kinds of totally
1: unexpected ways. Thank you, Rao. I want to ask you the next question. How do you grow your business like a rocket? By thinking differently.
0: Let me explain with an actual case study vision. So, there was this guy who got fed up of being in the corporate world and he wanted to be in business for himself and he bought a printing franchise and he set up in a strip mall. The only problem was that when he set up in this strip mall, there were four other printing. you know, there's a whole pile of them. There's Suspides, there's PIP, there's a whole bunch of them. And there were four others within a 10-minute walk from his place. So how the hell was he going to grow his business? He tried what people normally do, which is, hey, come in, I'll give you 100 free business cards and people do that. And it didn't work. So then he did something different. See, what happens is most people, when they say, we'll give you 100 free business cards and you go in for that, and what they give you is they give you black and white cards printed on cheap stock in the hope that you will upgrade to a better one. He had a totally different approach. What he did is he sent a very well-written letter which was hand-delivered, and he picked those people to whom they were hand-delivered. And what he did was Deliver them a brochure which said, what does your business card and stationery say about your business? And he explained that in the absence of other information, most people make a judgment about your business based upon your stationery, which is the first thing they see in the business card. And at the end of that informative article, he had an offer please send me your business card and letterhead and I will explain to you what impression it conveys. So obviously a number of people did send in that and he wrote a thoughtful analysis of that. And along with that thoughtful analysis, he also created a different letterhead to 100 free cards. And of course they took him up on that and he sent them 100 business cards. But these were not cheap black and white stuff. These were on you know full color on good stock, and sometimes they were even engraved, which makes it really expensive. But when he sent them the hundred, he also sent them a. By the way, if you like this, how about transferring your entire stock, and I will give you just submit the bill from your last printer, and I will credit you fifty percent of that off your order. And. You know, people responded to that. They would order from him regularly like clockwork. And in less than an year, he was more profitable than he ever thought he would be. This is an example of thinking differently, but it's also an example of something else. It's an example of strategically thinking, how can I be of service to my clients? You don't sell your clients. educate your clients and if you remember that your job is to educate the clients and help them see how perhaps what you are offering is in their best interest you don't sell them they buy people like to buy they hate to be sold so don't buy
1: thank you sri kumar now there's something else that you do in your teaching which is really interesting because when people hear that idea they are like i get that But I got to be really creative to come up with these ideas for educating, right? I got to have this brilliant, creative mind to come up with all of these unique new ways to sell and educate and grow the business. But what people don't realize is that there is a secret in the state of surrender that you put entrepreneurs in. When you get into that state where you're at peace with everything and life, where stress and overwhelm are not touching you, your brain automatically becomes more intuitive and the right ideas flow to you. I believe John D. Rockefeller became the richest man who ever lived because, as he said in his poem, his life was one long, happy holiday. He knew to walk that line between intensity and peace. And he was a man who moved into that state of surrender. You can tell it from his writings, from his poems, and so on. And I think you teach us how to get there. And that's when the ideas flow. I bet all of you in the comments can relate. You've been in those peaceful states and the ideas flow to you. It may be meditation. It may be when you're taking a shower, but the mistake I know I made as an entrepreneur is that I would get stuck when I was working hard because I didn't know what the right action was. But when I was able to move into surrender, the right person, the right synchronicity, the right idea would come into my life. And very often it would seem almost magical, like literally magical. I need to solve a problem and I go out to a party and there is the guy who has the knowledge and we click and he mentors me.
0: That's the way life works, Vishen. And you can make it happen
1: that way consciously. So this brings us to the final question today. Why we cannot find the keys to our happiness?
0: because we're looking in all the wrong places, vision. It's like this. Let me tell you a story. There was this man in faultless evening clothes, and he was standing under the street light searching. And a jogger ran past, and then he circled back and said, hey, you seem troubled, there's something wrong. And the man says, I lost my car keys. And the jogger says, no problem, I'll help you find them. And he bends down and kneels, and you know, looks around. And after a few minutes, he says, Look, I searched pretty hard, but I couldn't find the car keys. Where did you drop them? And the man in evening clothes says, I dropped them over there. And the jogger is upset and says, why are you searching for your keys here if you dropped them there? And the man says, well, it's dark there and it's light here, so I thought I'd search here. But it's supposed to be a joke. But actually, that's what we do in all our lives. Because what happens is we have this need. We feel unfulfilled. We feel... Want in ourselves, and we go out and do desperate things outside. You know, I got to build a better business. I got to have a better partner. I got to buy a bigger house, and we're always looking for that fulfillment. And the principle I want to share with you is: you can never solve an internal problem with external action, but that's what we're all trying to do.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much. So much for sharing that. So as we come to the end of the hour, we still have 2,500 people live. This is amazing. I love how you can keep people's attention. I want to end with a quote, and then we'll go into answering questions on the seminar, sharing a little bit more about the agenda. Raul, this is one of the favorite quotes you've taught me, and I love how you drop these nuggets of wisdom. I'm going to read it out for everyone here. It's from the Rumi. When I run after what I think I want, My days are a furnace of stress and anxiety. If I sit in my own place of patience, what I need flows to me and without pain. From this, I understand that what I want also wants me, is looking for me and attracting me. There's a great secret here for anyone who can grasp it. And as you put together all of Rao's teachings, you start seeing the dots within this poem. Thank you so much, Rao. That's a fantastic poem. I mean, Rumi knew where it was at. Big time. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast.